Good morning. How are you doing? I'm well. I know I can always count on Mel. It's one of the reasons why I like to stand here, because I know I'll get some verbal feedback. I feel like we need to practice again. I want you to think of a word or a short phrase that means yes, but you can't use the word yes. Okay? To answer in the affirmative, okay? So think about it for a sec. Everybody got one? If I were to ask you a question, you would answer in the affirmative, okay? Are you guys looking forward to our social next week and going to the pumpkin patch? That was weak. <laughs> that was weak. Now, I, I appreciate verbal feedback because I, I can't see, right? So I, I can't tell from the look on your face whether or not you're tracking with me or not. So I know it goes against your nature, but you are more than welcome to join and participate in this by just letting me know that you're listening, okay? It helps me a little bit anyway. And I know I can count on Mel, so I'm, I've got that part covered. Now, aside from the fact that my eyesight is not great, uh, I, I, have the, uh, I, I have been blessed with otherwise generally good health. So for the most part, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I try to exercise on a regular basis and try to eat okay. And uh, I, I would generally say I'm very thankful that I, that I have uh, reasonably good health. But occasionally, of course, like... A lot of us, there are things that crop up. So this past week, I, uh, I have been having muscle spasms in my back. And, and the interesting thing about that for me has been, you know, when I go and exercise and I work out, you know, I lift weights and do these things, and I feel like I'm, you know, strong. But then I go through a week like this one with some muscle spasms, and I feel weak. Because there's nothing like reaching for a coffee cup and having your back tighten up so that you can't, you know, lift a cup and go, oh, wow, not so strong now, are you, big fella? It, it, uh, it, it's not a pleasant experience. So for me this week, it was a tangible reminder of my weakness. And weakness is something that we don't like to talk about. But if we were to do a survey... So we won't do a formal survey, but you can check this off in your head this morning. If we were to do a survey of, of some of the weaknesses that we have to endure, there, there'd be quite a long list. For some of us, it might be something like diabetes. Or it could even be cancer. Or maybe we'd move the list over to learning disabilities. Things like autism spectrum disorder. Things like ADD or ADHD. Or we could make up a list that would include things that cover other you know, mental health issues. Things like depression and anxiety. And as we think through that list, many of us identify with those things and more than one of those things. Many of us identify because we suffer them ourselves or we have people that we care about that, that suffer with them. And we don't really like to talk about our weakness, do we? You're already thanking me in your mind for bringing up such a cheerful topic to talk about this morning. Way to go. Way to encourage us, Daryl. That's great. But I think it's important for us to 
think about this because the Bible does tell us a lot of important things about day-to-day living. And because we struggle with weakness in our day-to-day living, God's word has something to say to us this morning about the subject. Why is it so hard for us to admit our weakness? I think that essentially it's rooted in our pride. And for years, I always thought that pride was one of these things that was, um, you know, a, a puffed up, arrogant, conceited, overinflated sense of who you were. That was the evil of pride. But several years ago, I came to realize that there was another side to that coin and that pride has this other side where it's um, just very self-obsessed, self-focused, and could be something like self-pity, which at face value seems very different from conceited arrogance but they actually share the common root of pride, of selfishness, of self-interest. And pride is very insidious. I mean, pride is really the first sin. Pride is, is how the devil, in his attempt to become God, to become like God, to usurp God, It's how he fell. It's how the devil became the devil. It's at the root of Adam and Eve in the garden, grasping for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to become like God. Pride is really rooted in our brokenness, in our humanity. And it's so insidious that sometimes it keeps us from talking about things that we should talk about because we end up wearing a mask so that we can project to others our strength, our resilience, our self-reliance. And you've seen it in recent years, there there have been uh, a number of campaigns that are focused on talking about issues, things like mental health, right? Not keeping them a secret. Trying to take away the stigma of some of those things. And I think that those are excellent campaigns for that reason because these things shouldn't be kept in the dark. But I find that even when we're willing to talk about things a little bit, pride still creeps in and we have this tendency to minimize things. So, yeah, I might admit that I'm suffering with something, but then in the very next sentence, I'll minimize it a little bit. I'll lead you to believe that I'm doing better than maybe I actually am. That my brokenness isn't quite as complete as it actually is. And that's how pride prevents us from sometimes being authentic and being transparent. Not just with each other, but sometimes with God sometimes with ourselves in some strange way. But fortunately, the Bible has a lot to say on the subject. And in particular this morning, we heard read some verses from the letter that Paul wrote 
to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And as we look at what Paul had to say, I think there's something very compelling here for us. And a lot that we can take away. Can I get somebody nice and loud to read verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Not all at once. So let's put some context to that, okay? The Apostle Paul, in his letter, has prior to this point mentioned some of the revelations he's received, some of the wonderful things that God has revealed to him that that are worthwhile, in some respect, for being proud of. And in hindsight, when you think about everything that the Apostle Paul accomplished, he, you know, more than anybody else, would have a right to brag a little bit. He's got things that he can be proud of. Many incredible accomplishments. And as Paul has referenced a few in the, in the, in the, in the verses preceding, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. He takes a turn and he suggests that in order for him not to become conceited, he has received what he refers to as a thorn in the flesh. Now, I've been thinking a little bit about what thorns are like. As a matter of fact, I dreamt about thorns last night. I did. I really did. I, I don't like a lot of dreams. I lost most of it. But the part that I can remember is wherever I was, and I had been walking through some brush or something where I had picked up thorns on branches that were, you know, long, and they were dug into my clothes, and I was trying to get them off. And you know, trying to pick off things with thorns, you have to be so ginger and they were prickly and I was taking them out of my clothes and throwing them on the ground and my dog would keep bringing them back. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually not sure whether that dream has something to do with how much I was focusing on thorns or how stupid my dog is. I'm not really sure which one of those two things my subconscious was working through. But those of you who... Spend time outdoors. Those of you who garden, of course, you know a lot about how painful thorns can be. And this is the terminology that Paul uses to refer to some sort of affliction that he suffers. And when you read this passage, what is the most logical question to ask? Anybody. What's the first question that comes to your mind? What was the thorn? Absolutely. And this is actually a matter of scholarly debate. People much smarter than me have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been. And there's lots of possibilities. Some have suggested that it could have been Jewish persecution. 
And certainly, Paul documented a lot of his suffering. And he did suffer. So it's possible that persecution may be the thorn that he's referring to. Others have suggested the possibility that that the thorn that he's talking about could actually be his own memories, his regrets of the things that he did when he persecuted the church. Let's not forget that before his conversion, Paul was Saul, who stood by in approval at the stoning of Stephen and persecuted the church aggressively. Well, certainly... There would be actions there that Paul could regret. And on a personal level, we all understand regret. We can relate to this. Things that we did that we wish we hadn't, or maybe things we didn't do that we wish we had. It's definitely a possibility. Others have suggested it could be a carnal sin. That maybe Paul struggled with some sort of a temptation. Certainly, we can relate to that. Other suggestions include things like depression, that maybe Paul suffered from something like a depression. uh, A number of physical ailments have been suggested. Maybe Paul suffered from epilepsy or some sort of other seizure disorder. One of the more interesting things to me personally that's been suggested is, is that Paul, Paul had some sort of a uh, condition that affected his eyesight. There's some scriptural references such as Galatians when Paul uh, addresses the believers in his own, own hand and he refers to, I think it's in 11.6 uh, Galatians, he refers to writing with large letters which some people believe may suggest that he uh, had to write really big because he couldn't see well. Uh, Of course, Paul dictated letters. And uh, even in Galatians, there's a a reference to uh, Paul saying that the Galatians would have given him their own eyes if they could have, all suggesting the possibility that maybe there was a problem affecting his eyesight. But none of these things have been proven conclusively. And some commentators have suggested that this is actually a good thing. Because even just running through that short list of possibilities, it opens up a number of places where we can relate on a personal level to what Paul was going through. So maybe it's actually a little more helpful for us to have some ambiguity. Maybe God in his wisdom has left this open-ended for us to be able to see ourselves alongside of Paul in his suffering. a little easier for us to relate and a little harder for us to dismiss because it isn't a specific condition that we don't suffer from. So, Paul refers to the condition as a thorn. And we all know what it's like to have thorns in our lives, the metaphorical thorns. So what do we do about them? Well, in Paul's letter, right here in these few short verses, there are actually, I think, some really important takeaway points for us. The very first one 
that I think that is really important for us to keep in mind is that Paul is not shying away from talking about his thorn. Paul is willing to bring it up and talk about it. And I think that that sets a very good example for us, that we should not be afraid to talk about our weaknesses and our challenges and our struggles. Paul could be like the original poster boy for the Let's Talk campaign. That it's okay for us to talk about these things. That's the example that he sets for us at the very outset. You'll notice in verse 7 that Paul refers to this thorn as a messenger from Satan. This opens up a lot of you know, different avenues that we could possibly explore. But I would like to just maybe keep it to one important point that we should consider. Is that as Satan is at work in our lives, in the same way that he was working in Paul's life, whatever he was doing, he intended for evil. But God used it for good. Whatever Satan was doing with this thorn, he was trying to distract Paul, at the very least, disrupt what he was doing. More likely, he wanted to destroy him. But in spite of that, God took this situation and he used it for a greater good. And I, I, I believe that, that this was on two levels. One, Paul acknowledges. Paul realizes that God was using this to keep him from becoming conceited. It was keeping him from becoming arrogant and proud. But there's a whole other level that God was using this that I don't think Paul could even possibly imagine. That some 2,000 years later, we would be here this morning reflecting on God's word and learning something from the words that he was writing. So God was using it not just for Paul's benefit, but he was using it for his greater glory as well. No matter what evil comes into your life, no matter what terrible thing you encounter, God can use it for his purposes and for the greater good. Now that is not easy to work through sometimes. And it's important for us to realize that it isn't always an immediate understanding. You see, in verse 8, Paul says he prayed three times that this thorn would be taken away from him. Now, from the verse itself, we're not, it's not entirely clear whether the, these three prayers were sort of done in quick succession or whether they were you know, spread out over a period of time. But what I did learn from doing some more research is that from the period of time in which this thorn would have become an issue for Paul to the time when this letter was written was about 14 years. Which is a fairly long period of time. So what we see in Paul's life is that from the, at the outset... Paul's prayer was 
Lord, take this away from me. But over the course of time, Paul has now arrived at the place where he realizes that God is using this for his benefit. So we can actually learn two things from that. One is that obviously sometimes it takes time for us to understand what God is doing in a situation. And that can be frustrating. But if we trust him, we have faith that he is working in time we can see the fruit of what it is he's doing. The other thing that we learn from this is that it's okay to ask God to take a thorn away. There is absolutely no indication here that there was any problem with Paul asking for that thorn to be removed. And whatever thorn is in your life, it's okay to ask God to take it away. Sometimes he answers those prayers miraculously. There are times when prayers for healing are answered or the temptation could be taken away or God could move in some other way. But as Paul demonstrates, then there are times when those prayers aren't answered quite the way that we might have hoped they were, they would be. And Paul's example to us is that over time, God is working through those situations and in those circumstances for our benefit. But it might take a little while for us to really understand what's happening. And even as Paul's situation uh, demonstrates that perhaps we'll never quite understand how fully and completely God is using that in his bigger plan. In verses 8 and 9, Paul goes on to talk about some pretty paradoxical stuff. I should say it's verses 9 and 10, actually. He, he talks about some very paradoxical things. Strength and weakness. <laughs> what does that really mean? At face value, you know, when I am weak, I am strong. Sounds like nonsense, doesn't it? Because in, in our world, it is nonsense. But through the power of Christ, it's actually real and true. Strength through weakness. It's so hard for us to understand. I mean, on one level, I guess you could understand that when we set out to do something in our own strength... Like, if you start out with your own talents, your own abilities, and your own gifting, it's far too easy for you to rest in your own strength. To be honest, I find myself a lot of times, if I'm preparing to lead worship or preparing to speak, when I get started, sometimes I, 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 I get caught up in doing the preparation, and I'm kind of just doing it on my own, and I have to be reminded that I need to rely on God more and less on myself. So, 
when we do things in areas of giftedness, sometimes it's too easy to rely on ourselves. But when we do things recognizing weakness, then it's much easier for us to see how God is at work. When, God, when, when the good stuff comes from weakness, it's easier to see God's hand. Weakness, in and of itself, is worthless. But weakness through the power of Jesus Christ is something entirely different. You'll notice that strength is made perfect through weakness. God's grace, Paul says, is sufficient. But his strength is working through our weakness. It's not displacing our weakness. It's not removing our weakness. It's actually working through our weakness. When you think about your thorn, consider that possibility. That God, if he doesn't remove it or displace it, intends to work through it. And that can be very hard to comprehend. Perhaps in, you know, in our weaker moments, we're, we're just not able to really wrap our heads around it, and it's tough. But that is the power of Christ in our lives, of taking these challenges and these struggles. A few weeks ago, uh, I talked about Jesus' interaction with the man born blind and how all of the... Uh, disciples were asking why the man was born blind. And Jesus answered their question a lot differently than they expected because he understood how the Father was going to use that situation. And I suggested that when we face difficulties and trials, the, the more significant question we should ask is how is God going to use them? And not why did it happen. And I think this verse, these verses are actually right along those lines. Is when we face thorns and God doesn't remove them, the question we can ask ourselves is, how are you going to use this? God, how are you going to use this for my benefit? The benefit of those around me and more importantly, how are you going to use this for your honor and your glory?